0: an eye on God's word. We're finishing Ephesians this morning, Lord willing, by God's grace. That's the plan. And I think we can do that. That's what I have in my notes. So we're in the last chapter, the uh, the last few verses. An interesting passage, beginning at verse 21. Paul, you know, he wrote this. This is a prison epistle. I didn't really emphasize that as we were going through it. But Paul was in prison in Rome. He was awaiting his appeal to Caesar. If you've read the book of Acts, you know what that's all about. And as he was waiting there, he uh, was chained up to one of the Praetorian guards waiting to hear from Caesar. He was, we would call it today, under house arrest. Uh, but he had some freedoms and he could have visitors. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, actually the last chapter of Acts, you can find out exactly where the, uh, the Apostle Paul was as to his location and what was going on in his life. So we read here in uh, verse 21, he says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. In sincerity, amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now to bless us, open your word to our hearts and minds, and please open our hearts and minds to your word that we would really truly receive it into the very depths of our beings and not just be like the shallow ground where the word was there for a little while but bore no real fruit. <clears throat> And then also we wouldn't be like those in whom the the word was snatched away right after they heard it. But we pray, Lord God, that you would remove all hardness from our hearts and help us to really hear and receive, believe, and obey your word, Lord. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So, when we come to this passage, you know, I looked at this in, in preparing, it's the end of the epistle, and it's very gracious. Paul begins this letter with a salutation and praising God. He starts off, if you look back at chapter, chapter 1, I'm not going to go through the whole epistle, so you can relax. Um, but I encourage you, by the way, if you get a chance, try to read through Ephesians this week, okay? consolidate what we've been talking about and, and read through it and see if you've learned anything. I hope you have. But as you know, he starts off, uh, Paul, he addresses then Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, Paul wasn't doing this because he decided to do it. He didn't lay his own hands upon his head and declare himself to be apostle, as some do in our day. Uh, he said he was called to be an apostle by the will of God. And we have that testimony recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. Uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So this, to whom it was addressed, saint. The word saint, these are not like specially holy people above other Christians as uh, the medieval church and as Rome teaches today, um, as they began to teach that, well, you have these super Christians. Um, saints, the word just means holy ones. Uh, hagioi as the Greek word. Hagios is the word for holy or separated unto God. And we've talked about that, I think, in the past, that both the Hebrew word uh, kadosh or kadesh and the Greek word hagios, uh, both of those are translated as holy. They have at the root meaning the idea of separation. And that means if you're a believer, you are a saint. You're separated from the world. And I've mentioned this plenty of times because I've been around a lot of people that understood that part quite well. part they didn't get is you're not just separated from the world. You know, like I don't drink, smoke, or chew, nor hang around with them that do. That part they have down. But what they fail to get, and this is a fault of all of us at times, they were separated unto God. We're separated unto Christ. That is, we belong to him. So in being holy, that means you're separated. So that's to whom this is written. And you notice that comes up at the end of this epistle in the verses we read. But he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful as believers. And I love that word faithful because it doesn't just mean believers. It means believers who are living according to it. You know, it's one thing to say you have faith. It's another thing to be faithful. And so he writes to the saints and faithful, meaning believers in christ jesus and that in christ jesus has to do with that spiritual relationship of believing in him having the holy spirit indwell you you know when we speak of the holy spirit being present the holy spirit it's not physically present god is spirit and he also transcends the creation but locally you can say he is at work in your heart and you're present so he's present with you when we speak of being the Holy Spirit indwelling us, we mean he's operationally present. He's working in us. Okay. Uh, He's not like trapped inside your heart. I know little children, sometimes when we tell them to, have you asked Jesus into your heart? You know, they're not quite sure what that means because how do you do that? I remember as a young believer, I was being told that I needed to open the door of my heart so Jesus could come in. And I was like, how do you do that? How do I open my, now I realize that that's, um, a metaphor, but you know, it was like really hard for me to get that as a as a teenager. It was like, what do you mean, open my? I don't get it. You know, what does that mean? Well, I found out that the Lord's the one that opens your heart. Remember Lydia when Paul preached to them in Philippi? That means He opens your understanding, your heart, makes you willing. It's a wonderful idea and phrase, and it's certainly not contrary to Scripture uh, that we ought to open, pray, and ask Him to do it. He's the only one. You know, the, the picture of some. And I'm not into pictures, as you know, but the, the one that's pretty well known shows Jesus knocking on a door. There's no doorknob on his side. It's Like, you know, poor Jesus, apparently he can't get the door open unless you let him in. It's like my savior kicked the door down when he saved me. He didn't ask me to open anything. Uh, you know, some well, we, did I come willingly? Absolutely. I came willingly. OK, because he made me willing. He opened my eyes, showed me what danger I was in spiritually, showed me his love. So that's how he separated me, and that's how he brought me to himself. And I think that's similar to the testimony of most other true Christians is that the Lord intervenes in your life. He makes you willing, and you do learn to love him, but you're a saint, and you're separated. And then he makes you faithful. And the note here, verse 2 is really what I was trying to get to, where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ always amazes me when some of the cults that deny the deity of Jesus, they go, well, where does it specifically say Jesus is God? Well, how about John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, Romans 9.5, 1 Timothy 3.16, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like pretty much all over. John 20, what is it, 21, where uh, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, because you've seen me, you believe. Jesus didn't say, oh, don't call me God. Okay. Look at this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And if Jesus is anything less than true God of true God, those next words would be utterly blasphemous to link a mere creature with the uncreated eternal God. But Paul does it. The reason why is because Jesus is one with the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has no problem recognizing that grace comes to us from God, God the Father, and from the Son. And so he addresses him as such. But no, he starts this epistle with grace. And this whole epistle is an exposition of the wonders of God's grace, how it works. And so, as you know, he unfolded so many truths in this epistle. It's amazing how rich we are to have this in our Bibles. But then we come to chapter 6, verse 21, Seems incidental. Seems like Paul's just kind of concluding and giving them some information. And he sent uh, Tychicus, he's mentioned in a couple of other places in Scripture. Second Timothy uh, of 4:12 and in Titus 3:12, and also in Acts 20, verse 4, where he was left in Troas waiting. Uh, he was a young man that, that accompanied Paul, and he was a dedicated Christian, as Paul clearly says, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. But note what he says. But that you also may know my affairs, that is what I'm doing, and how I am doing, you know, the what and the how, uh, how things are going for me is what he's saying. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. And so it's pretty nice if you think about Paul here. He's chained up in Rome. He's waiting to appear before the emperor. And, you know, sometimes we think, you know, wow, we've got some pretty lousy civil rulers Paul was getting ready to appear before Nero Caesar. If you know anything about Roman history, Nero Caesar was a wretch. He's the guy that burned Rome down and then he wanted to clear out some, at least as far as historians were able to piece together. He burned down Rome so he could rebuild. He had a building plan. And there was a whole bunch of people living in houses in areas he wanted to build on. You know, he had this idea of magnificence, you know. Uh, so he burned Rome as they, the saying is he played the fiddle while he while it roamed, uh, burned rather, while Rome burned. But actually uh, others have said, no, actually it was a harp. Okay? This guy really was a wretch. Uh, then he blamed the Christians for it. And then he commenced to persecute Christians and burn them. That was a little later than what we're reading about right now. Nero hadn't shown himself to be completely as bad as he was going to be. But Paul had to appear before this guy with the hope that he could receive a, a fair hearing. So he's waiting there. So naturally, the Ephesians were probably somewhat anxious as to how their beloved brother in Christ and the apostle who had brought the word of God to him, how he was doing. And so Paul has a concern for them. He doesn't say, I've sent Titus to you so you can just see how miserable I am and feel sorry for him. So I want you to know how I'm doing. Things are okay is basically what he's saying. Uh, note that. And So he sends Titus he goes, so here we have this fellow, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. And actually the word minister there is diakonos, deacon. Uh, but the deacon means minister. And in Greek it meant one who waits on tables. Uh, I think I've told you before, you know, when some, some of my fellow pastors will, you know, refer, well, I am a minister of Jesus. I am a minister. It's like, oh, could you give me a cup of coffee? You're like, what? Well, you, you, you wait on tables, right? That's what the word minister means. So I don't get invited to a lot of pastoral stuff. Um. Uh, Anyway, I don't get second invitations most of the time. Most of the the, the better pastors know exactly what this is all about. If you're a pastor, if you're a minister, you're a servant. That's what you're called to be. And that's Tychicus. He was a beloved brother. He was somebody that the love of God was evident in his life. He loved Jesus. He loved God's people. And their response was because of Tychicus, they loved the Lord. They they loved him. He was just, by God's grace, a good brother in Christ and faithful minister in the Lord. He'll make all things known to you. He says, whom I've sent to you for this very purpose, so you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. So see, Paul wasn't sending him there with a message of woe and doom and worry. He was sending him there to let them know, I'm in God's hands. I'm able to witness the Praetorian guard, as he wrote in uh, in another epistle, I think in Philippians, where he talks about that the the, the word had gone actually among the Praetorian guard, uh, the close bodyguards of Caesar and that those were the elite troops in the Roman army. I think I've mentioned that before. These were guys you don't mess with. You know, if you approach Caesar uninvited, first they'd kill you and then they'd find out what you wanted. That's how they guarded Caesar. So these were not men to mess with. They were the the elite troops and Paul was in their midst. One of them had one of them chained to him. Uh, so he got to witness to the guy, you know, I'm sure the, uh, the man, if he became a believer, you know, it wasn't just one soldier. They rotated, obviously, they had shifts. And so Paul was like, oh, good, another one. Okay, hey, you know why I'm here? (laughs) You know, no, why? You know, and so they had that discussion. But I was thinking about this, that, Lord, okay, how do I preach this? This is just incidental. I mean, these are great verses. And then it dawned on me. What would our Bibles be like if the epistle to the Ephesians wasn't in it? It would be sad, right? Well, God in his province made sure we'd have it. He gave his word. He's preserved it, carried it through the centuries, had it translated into our language. And so what a blessing it is. At one point in history, this man that we're reading about Tychicus, he had probably a scroll written by the Apostle Paul. There's no indication that Paul wrote multiple copies to begin with. The book of Ephesians was entrusted to one man one faithful man to go from rome all the way over now if you leave rome you get on the ocean probably in a boat or you could go overland too. the roman Rome's roman roads were secure the rome had you know the pax romana the iron heel of rome made sure that people were safe they said in the days of the roman empire a woman could walk on a road from one city to the next alone and be left alone generally speaking if anything happened if people were robbed or Women were hurt or things were done. The Romans would find the nearest city, go there, tell them turn over the people that did this so they can be executed or punished. If the town balked at it, then they burned the town down. Next time something like that happened or somebody heard about it, they said, No way. So the towns would police themselves because you don't mess with Rome. Okay. They knew that. And it's like that's kind of brutal. Well, they didn't do that all the time. They only had to do that once in a while, and then word gets out. Okay. And that's kind of how the Romans governed. So Tychicus might have gone overland. We're not told how he got there. More often than not, though, it seems he probably would have taken a ship from Rome and then gone today what we call Turkey, which is Asia Minor, and Ephesus is right on the coast there. Uh, remember that in Revelation, the seven churches, there's a circuit there. Ephesus is one of them. And so he took this letter by ship or overland to the city of Ephesus. Paul entrusted it into his hands. And I thought about this. Is that, wow, it was one faithful person the epistle of the ephesians was committed into his care and paul knew that god would work in this young man get him there cause him to be faithful and so it was pretty wonderful when i started thinking about that so you know what are we doing in our generation and how much does god's plan and purpose depend upon you. You might think, well, I'm not, I'm pretty unimportant. I don't read anything in the scripture that tells me that Tychicus thought he was super <clears throat> important, but Tychicus knew it was necessary to be faithful. He was with Paul in Rome. Paul could, you know, give it to him because Tychicus didn't stay away from Paul. Paul writes elsewhere, like in 2 Timothy, that a lot of people had stepped away from Paul because, hey, he's in jail and, you know, he's been there for a while now. And if if he was really correct wouldn't he have been out a long time ago and you know he's just this paul guys i don't know you know so but paul had others that stayed with him if you read second timothy which was the last letter paul wrote before uh, after his second imprisonment before he died paul mentions this but some stayed with him tychicus was one of those guys he wasn't ashamed to be with paul Tychicus knew Paul's preaching the gospel. He's in chains right now because he loves Jesus and he's done what is right. And he's been lied about, falsely accused, and they were going to kill him. He appealed to Rome. And so as a Roman citizen, they took him to Rome and that's what he's waiting for. So Tychicus was there and Paul called him in one day and said, hey, I just wrote this. I need you to get your traveling clothes on and uh, need you to go to Ephesus and deliver this. And also here's another epistle uh, to the Colossians. Uh, I need you to take that also. So Tychicus being a faithful minister and a beloved brother undoubtedly said, absolutely. Wow. When do you want me to go? You know, and I don't know all the details of that. I'm just kind of figuring these are things probably had to have happened. And so Tychicus came in, uh, I'm sure the Roman soldier had heard, you know, and Paul, uh, maybe read it to Tychicus Said, here's what the letter says. So you're aware of it. You're mentioned in it. So, um, Uh, You know, that one Roman soldier that was there, by the way, you know, it was written in Greek and Greek was the lingua franca, even of the Roman Empire. Uh, they, They say if you find the official decrees and things, they did speak Latin in Rome, but most anything that was intended to go outside of Rome in the Roman courts, was in Greek. So Greek was very well known in the in the Roman Empire. So I often wonder, uh, the, one of the first people to hear this epistle was probably a Roman soldier. You know, I don't think Paul stopped and asked him, by the way, you know, how do you spell predestination? Uh, but the fellow heard Paul writing as he, as he wrote this and uh, various soldiers would have heard it. So now Tychicus gets called in because he's a faithful brother. And not how not Paul sent him. He said, he's going to make all things known to you. So he had other things to say. Paul told him. Need you to go to ephesus i don't want them worrying about me i think things are going to be okay one way or the other let them know i'm in god's hands The words going out uh you know maybe he had a date by that point and he was told Here, here's what, when the hearing will take place i get to go before caesar history tells us that paul didn't go before caesar the first time nobody that accused him showed up and so caesar heard the case because paul was a roman citizen And Nero Caesar said, there's no evidence. He was probably acting on the advice of counselors, but he said, this is dismissed. You can go. You're free. But shortly thereafter, within about two or three years, when Nero started targeting Christians, this guy Paul was running around in that area and and elsewhere. And so... Uh, they had him arrested. And the second time, it wasn't because the Jews had charged him. It was because Caesar didn't like the fact that he was preaching against the Roman gods and teaching you know, faith in Christ and that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar in that sense. And so then Paul was beheaded. And so that, that was um, at the end of Paul's life. Paul was, you know, he's probably around, some say he was probably around in his late 50s or 60s when he was martyred. So at this point, though, he wants them to know things are okay. And he says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose. Also, Tychicus understood Paul's authority. Paul was a real apostle, not like these phony baloney ones that are running around today telling people, don't question anything I say because I'm an apostle, okay? Uh, My Bible tells me to test the spirits, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. When someone tries to use their office to make me not look into what they're teaching or not question it, it's like, You say you're acting under the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit in 1 John tells me to test the spirits whether or not they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. When Jesus wrote to the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, he said, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, but are liars, and you've found them to be false. So when someone shows up and says, well, I'm an apostle, you can't question anything I say. It's like, want to bet? OK, but Paul was a legitimate apostle. Paul uh, preached the gospel. God had the actual sign miracles uh, happen in Paul's life. We've read elsewhere the healings and the miracles that Paul did to confirm the word, not to you know put on a religious sideshow. Uh, in Mark, at the end of Mark's gospel, because of the day and age we live, it's important that you know these things. So we're told at the end of Mark's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 19, we're told this is after Christ had commissioned him. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them in the note and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Note that. So why? what were the signs, the miracles, and wonders that he mentions earlier in the chapter? Okay. He said, in, uh, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. That doesn't mean they're going to babble incoherently and then pretend that it's really the Holy Spirit speaking in them. They're going to be able to speak in languages. And that gift in Acts, very clearly, those were known languages. All the languages are named that they were speaking in. They were earthly languages. Um, and they were that was a gift. It would be like all of a sudden if the Holy Spirit gave you the ability to speak and understand French or Swahili or Navajo. That's a a really hard language even for the Navajos to learn. All of a sudden you have the ability to speak in that language fluently and to preach the gospel. That's what that is. That's what that gift was in the early church. By the way, again, I digress from the digression. When people say, oh, well, I speak an angelic tongue. Really? That's interesting because the only place an angelic tongue is mentioned is in First Corinthians chapter 13, And that's where Paul says, though I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul didn't say I speak in the languages of angels. He said, if I could, but didn't have love, or if I did and didn't have love, I am nothing. And by the way, in my Bible, every time an angel speaks, it's in an intelligible language. It's simply eloquent. And so what does it mean to speak in an angelic tongue? It does not mean to babble incoherently. And claim well that was the holy spirit speaking in me no that was you making up stuff okay and then when someone prays for the interpretation they just wait and then out of their own hearts they start saying oh well thus saith the lord used to always be in king james english back when i was young because everybody was reading the king james bible but now when they give their false prophecies and their false interpretations of the incoherent babble, it's now in modern english because everybody's reading the you know most everybody anyways reading modern english translations so uh, it's just phony, and it's fake, and it's not real. And even though the people doing it might be sincere, they are sincerely wrong. So, back to our text. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. <clears throat> they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We see this in Paul. He was bit by a serpent. Nothing happened. Uh, you know, laid hand on the sick, they, they recovered. But note again, down to the last verse there okay they went out and preached everywhere the lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs amen so like i told one fellow years ago because he's well what do you do there they're doing miracles so i'll tell you what i do i do what god's word tells me that the miracles were given to confirm the word all right all i have to do is look at what they're preaching to tell whether or not they're of god i don't care if they're able to do miracles my Bible tells you in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, the beast was able to do miracles, signs and wonders. Jesus warned about false prophets that would do signs and wonders. There's all kinds of warnings. There's red lights all over on that stuff. It's like, what are they preaching? When John t- says in First John, if you want to know whether they're of God or not, every spirit that uh, confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Okay, so how do you know? What are they preaching? They're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation. his uh, his life, his sinless life, his death on the cross, his bodily resurrection come in the flesh, his ascension into heaven bodily, his session at the Father's right hand where his body, that is his resurrected body, the Lord Jesus Christ in his humanity before the Father's right hand right now in heaven. And on the last day of history, what's going to happen? The same Jesus that you saw go into heaven, that's what the angels told the apostles in Acts chapter 2, by the way, in an understandable language when the angels spoke, the same jesus that you've heard go or seen go into heaven shall shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go christ is returning visibly bodily the man jesus christ who is both god and man in his humanity he is returning to judge the world on the last day it's going to happen that's what we're supposed to be preaching john says every spirit that confesses that jesus christ is come in the flesh is of god and every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And then he goes on and says, and this is that spirit of the antichrist of which you have heard should come. That is the antichrist. But even now is in the world. It's not the spirit of antichrist was then in the world. Okay. He didn't say they deny it. He said, they just don't confess it. Listen to what they speak when they're speaking freely They just, you never get around to talk about Jesus. They're talking about the Holy Spirit, supposedly, which is interesting because the Holy Spirit came to glorify Jesus. So if you're speaking under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, you should be talking about Jesus. Okay. All right. Little digression there, but super important in our day and age. You need to be aware of these things. Stay close to the word of God. Test the spirits, whether or not they are of God. If someone says, well, how dare you test what I said? Oh, really? Because the Holy Spirit told me to do that. So you're telling me I shouldn't? You're wrong. Okay, if someone claims to be speaking on behalf of Christ, do be a Berean. Take it to Scripture. All right. And if they're not preaching Jesus Christ as a sinner focal point, not because when someone asks them, well, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Because I'll generally say, oh, yeah, sure, I do. Listen to what they're saying when they're speaking freely. That's what it means to confess, it means to speak freely listen to what they're actually talking about. And if they're not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his person and work as God incarnate and as the Savior, something's really wrong. And John doesn't say they're neutral. He says it's the spirit of Antichrist that's working in them. So he paints a, you know, not a broad picture condemning everybody that doesn't agree with every jot and tittle we might think is right. But just listen to what they're preaching. If they're not preaching Jesus, stay away from them. They're false apostles. Tychicus was not a false apostle. Paul was not a false apostle. Tychicus had, had been with Paul. He knew Paul was faithful, and so Paul says, "I'm sending him here." So this one man—just think about that—that that epistle was in the hands of this man, Tychicus. You'll meet him in glory. We don't we don't think about too much about Tychicus. I've never seen like you know uh, you'll see like Saint Paul's you know church, or you'll see uh, Saint Peter's church, or uh, you know uh, Saint James, yeah, etc. Church. I don't recall seeing a St. Tychicus Church anywhere, but I suppose somebody could do that just so people would have to ask, what on earth are you talking about? Uh, well, we preach a lot of Ephesians, okay? Um, but one man, one faithful person. And so I want you to understand, you might be that one person someday, maybe today even, but in your life, your faithfulness, you don't understand how much depends upon you being faithful where you are. We read about Taichung and say, oh, what a wonderful. That's what God wants all of us to be like, faithful. Note that a beloved brother or a beloved sister. Faith, by the way, Phoebe, who was a servant of the church in Sincrea, that's right across the, the Corinthian, the little isthmus that connects Corinth to the mainland. Corinth was on one side. Uh, Sincrea was on the other. She was a, a servant there. Some say deaconess, but you know, she was a servant there. She was entrusted with the book of Romans. Paul gave it to her. And as a faithful servant of Christ, you knew I could trust this young lady because she took it to the Roman church and said, here, I have a, an epistle from the apostle Paul. And they opened it up and read it and say, what will come of this? Beloved, the Reformation started when Luther read Romans, okay? And, but that at one point was in the hands of one young lady that was faithful. So don't underestimate your value in the kingdom of God. Be faithful where you are. If you have opportunity to speak to someone of christ do it you don't know what will happen you know d.l moody preached and and, you know from what we know there were thousands of people saved by the ministry of d.l moody and it's interesting if you read his autobiography an interesting thing comes up the man that witnessed to d.l moody led him to the lord nothing wrong with saying that the guy told him the gospel and d.l moody became a christian that man was a shoe salesman i believe it was in chicago around there and the only person that that man ever saw come to saving faith through his ministry or his witnessing was D.L. Moody. And he talked to a lot of people in his life, but he never saw any fruit from it, at least while he was alive. And he had one fellow that responded positively to his witnessing to him, and that was D.L. Moody, who went on to, by God's, as an instrument. In God's hands who preached Jesus Christ come in the flesh thousands upon thousands of people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ one man was faithful he didn't see a whole lot but that one day this guy DL Moody came in probably to buy a pair of shoes because the guy was a shoe salesman and the fellow witnessed to him and told him about Jesus and it changed Moody's life and then God called Moody to preach so you may think like oh God's not using me beloved be faithful you go out and you know if you've got trees in your garden that bear fruit you go out and talk to your tree Here in california you probably do that right most people think we do um you go out and you talk to your trees right you probably don't actually but your tree's not going to say much to you and if you ask your tree tree are you aware of the fruit that you bear what's the tree going to say nothing trees are not aware of the fruit they bear that's not necessary for the tree to bear fruit some say well the tree has to know that it's bearing fruit No, it doesn't. It just has to get its roots down into the ground and be nurtured. So what do you need to do? Get your roots down. That means the Bible, God's word, okay? And it has to do with fellowship in the church and being taught and instructed in your home and in your uh, community, you know, believing community. But it means being nurtured and strengthened. And so get your roots down, and God will have you bear the fruit that he wants you to bear Okay, the fruit of the Spirit, every Christian has that. Peace, love, joy, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, etc. Okay? But as far as bearing fruit and witnessing, just be faithful. You might be like that man that led D.L. Moody. Maybe you just feel like nobody <laughs> listens to me. Don't worry about it. Okay, Be faithful. There might be one. And besides that, one man sows, another man waters, and another man reaps. You don't know where you're at in the process. You may be the one that, that waters the seed somebody else planted. Maybe it was that person's mother. Or father or sister brother or friend somebody told him years ago you come along and mention that hey you know jesus really does love sinners and he'll save you if you'll turn to him and trust him you might be though and maybe that'll be what the holy spirit uses to change their heart tychicus was faithful so paul concludes with, by talking about tychicus but he says peace to the brethren and love with faith from god the father and the lord jesus christ again he has no problem including Jesus with the richest blessings from God. But he wants peace to the brethren. He doesn't say, peace for me. Paul liked that. He asked him to pray for him. But he says, peace to the brethren and love with faith. No, peace, faith, and love. Okay. Why? Well, Paul really loved Jesus. I think that's evident if you read his epistles. Okay. Paul really loved Jesus. And the interesting thing, not only did Paul love Jesus, He wanted everybody else to love Jesus also, okay? He loved Jesus so much. He's like, it's wonderful to know the Lord, to know the love of God. I want you to love him too. That's what he wishes here, peace to the brethren. That is peace with God, peace of conscience, peace with other people, and love with faith. That is trusting in the Lord, knowing his love. We love him because he first loved us from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul Concludes, usually just says, uh, uh, Grace be with you. Or, it, you know, uh, here he, though he says, Grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Uh, now, sincerity is a Latin word. The, the Greek word actually is uh, uh it means incorruption. But sincerity is a good word, it means without mixture. It literally means sin, which is without in Latin, and sere uh, uh, or sincere. Uh, Yeah, seri means wax, because sometimes they'd add wax into things to cheapen it a little bit, like they'd water down wine. Sincerity means it's not mixed up. It's not got something added to it. So Paul says, grace be with those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. The original is in in incorruption. That word is translated in immortality elsewhere. But it means something that doesn't decay Uh, grace be with those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, we could say with a love that doesn't fade away. Why? Because it's nurtured by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, with these, these beautiful benediction, this wish of peace and love and faith and grace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, he concludes this epistle. And we can do no better than simply say, praise God for his mercies and the grace that's given to us. And may God purify our hearts, get all the junk out of them so that we can... Love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, as God spoke in Deuteronomy 6, 4 following long time ago. So grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, with incorruption, with a pure, enduring love. And that's Paul as he writes that, and then Paul wrote that one Hebrew word, which means truth, or one kind of like saying yes, and that's the word Amen. So and that's a Greek word there. It's Amen. That's a Hebrew word written in Greek, translated into English. So that's how this epistle concludes. And so may God's grace be with us, and may He so work in our hearts that we can truly love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, with incorruption, with an enduring love. Why? Because we know His love to us, which is enduring and eternal. As He said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now. Work in us that we might be faithful, Lord, in all things you've called us to. And we pray you confirm your word by sealing it to our hearts in obedience and true faith. And this we ask, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.